0: Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host.
1: The priesthood's more powerful than the best surgeon ever, so... Sadly, I think that's what's going to end his life soon, is the Mm. beliefs in the religion, because he knew he had this cancer a decade ago. Oh, no. He felt like it was his duty to keep fathering more children. 44, Uh. 45 just wasn't enough. And if he took that surgery, he can't keep doing
0: his duty. Hey guys, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions and organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're listening only and you want to see our faces, go to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, where you can like and subscribe, hit the bell. We are dropping way more episodes than we are used to, guys. You don't want to miss anything. We got some juicy stuff coming up, and we also love to interact with you in the comments. Uh, We are trying to feature comments. In fact, I do have a comment I want to feature in this episode once we get to a topic that seems fitting. So today's guest, this is a follow-up to Jude's past two episodes, and she was part of the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now we're going to get into how their kind of from the same group, but not really. Uh, But today's guest was part of that group. And I'm really excited to have a male's perspective on the whole culture of that religion. So thank you so much for joining us, Calvin Wayman.
1: Hey. I'm so pumped for being here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you're doing. You even wrote a children's book called Mistakes Are A-OK Maggie Mae, and I think that's really sweet. That's right. We have a lot of other fun things to promote from you uh, once we get to that at the end here, but I'm just excited to have you on and talk about your perspective in the religion.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. I I mean, it's been quite the wild ride the last few years, and yeah, I'm excited to, to see what we uncover and talk about. Yes.
0: Okay, so let's get everyone up to speed here. And don't worry, guys, if you haven't watched Jude's episodes, it's not the end of the day. You can always watch this one and go back and watch Jude's. Um, but what we're going to be talking about is the fundamentalist group of the Latter-day Saint Church, also known as the Mormon Church. Well, they don't call themselves Mormons anymore, but we can call them the Mormon Church. And if you didn't watch Jude's episodes, basically a rundown is this. Joseph Smith started the Mormon Church a long time ago. What, like 200 years ago or something? Uh And he brought about the law of polygamy. Uh, It was in secret. He didn't tell a lot of people even when he started doing it for the first little bit, first 10 years or so, just kind of sneaking around, you know, doing shady stuff. Eventually, he was killed. Everyone moved to Utah with Brigham Young, the next prophet, The government was like, guys, you have to stop practicing polygamy. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, sure, we'll stop. And then they didn't. And then eventually the military was like, we will literally put you in prison (laughs) and
1: take away your property.
0: Yes, we will destroy you if you do not conform to the laws of the land. Oh, look,
1: there's a revelation. We need, we need to stop living polygamy. God just said,
0: <laughs> guys, it's so convenient. I just heard from God, and he said that we should stop practicing polygamy. Wait a
1: minute! Didn't you say that we have to live this way to get to the celestial kingdom? Isn't that what you said? I swear that's just yeah. what you said last week.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how it happened. And it's still it's still in the scriptures, and mainstream Mormons today will say that they disavowed polygamy although they still practice it in heaven mm-hmm. so what happens is there's a split people are like nah bro joseph smith so we need to practice polygamy that's what we're gonna do and so came the fundamentalist that's of jesus christ from. of latter-day saints so when everyone would ask me growing up you were mormon how many moms do you have and i would get so angry this is these are the people we're talking we're about the people. <laughs> we
1: were just talking about this out there we're the we're the shadow That the regular Mormon church wants to get rid of. And I don't think people realize even the – there was such a transition from not living polygamy in mainstream Mormonism and fundamentalism. It started off as this. We're not living it anymore for anybody watching video. We're not living it Uh anymore. Like it was like a – it was a (laughs) wink. Like literally there were LDS prophets that – publicly said, we're not practicing polygamy, going home to their six wives. Yes. And it, it actually was in stages to where they were like, okay, we're not doing it anymore. Wink. And then because of the, you know, as you were mentioning, the, the persecution from the government, uh, seizing church property, they're like, okay, we actually really need to. But then people are like, wait, I thought we were just not publicly, but we still are. And like, no, we actually really need uh-huh. to not. I'm like, but we're supposed to. And that's what led to like this faction split where LDS church is one thing and then these fundamentalist Mormons, you know, that's where like for four generations, this secret society was born.
0: Yeah. And I was part of the problem. Like, guys, that's not my church. Like what they're doing has nothing to do with us. And I was (laughs) so that person because I just didn't understand my own church history. I didn't realize that. All of the shady things that they were doing over there in the shadows, as you mentioned, were yeah. things that the original church was preaching and teaching yeah. and enforcing.
1: I got this on one of your episodes. I can't remember which one, maybe even Jude, but it was something along the lines of when you're a Mormon, when you're coming out of it, you learn a lot more of Mormon history, but you tend oh, yes. to learn way more about Mormon history the more out of it you are. Oh, Because yes. it is so constrained when yeah. you're in it. They're like, it's this way, everything else is just considered anti-Mormon, so you have to be careful, only listen to certain approved history mm-hmm. to protect your testimony, which is creating this nice, beautiful cave structure, as I like to call it. So
0: Yeah, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about the dark, shady corners of fundamentalism. And you had a very yeah. important distinction, which I thought people would also like to know about. Between fundamentalists, Latter-day Saints, and where you were from, specifically speaking.
1: Yeah, because the most infamous part of LDS culture is Warren Jeffs. What a lot of people don't realize is, so where fundamentalism started, we just talked about that, where the, the fork really happens. And that's mm-hmm. in early Mormon history where the LDS church decides to stop living polygamy. There are these people within the Mormon church that say we're going to keep living it, and they continued to live it. They didn't just go start their own church right away. They mm-hmm. kept living it within the church until uh, the high-ranking officials of the church felt compelled that they needed to kick these members out and excommunicate them because it was causing negative press, negative creating problems for the actual uh, uh, official church. And they were afraid of, like again, more things getting – uh, taken away. So they had to do something and they had to like save face to the government and be like, no, not only are we not living polygamy anymore, not only is there nobody in our leadership position that are no longer living polygamy, we're actually actively excommunicating members that say they're polygamous. Right. When that happened, that's where FLDS is born. But what not many people may not know, there have been many splits within that mm-hmm. since then. There's a lot of different fundamentalist groups in within Mormonism. They have a bunch of similarities as far as, of course, belief in polygamy. That's the most obvious one. But there's usually one key sticking point. And the one key sticking point that I think came because of even how Mormonism was founded is there's the sticking point on who's in charge, mm-hmm. who's the real one, who has the real like it it still pervades LDS culture today. Like we're the one true church. Like we're the restored gospel. There's nothing else. That is super deep in fundamentalist culture. So, because of that, there's been a lot of, you know, pissing contests or whatever you want to call it, as far as like, we're the true one and here's why we're the true one. So, where I come from is thankfully not under Warren's rule. My church and Warren's church was the same church. Like one generation before me, uh, there was a church headquartered in Colorado City. Uh, it was at the time, headqu- uh, the, the main prophet was Leroy Johnson or other members in that council at the time. Like uh, the names are like Alma Timpson, J.M. Hammond. And then here's a big name you you might know. And that is Rulon Jeffs. Mm-hmm. Rulon Jeffs is Warren's dad. There was a big leadership dispute between two concepts. There was a group of people within the church that said one prophet at a time holds all the power. Mm-hmm. This is and by the way, this is in my opinion, is what created Warren, this this dispute. Some people believe that, and then others believed the council as a whole held held it. So there was a break off because everybody else said no, uh, this one man at the time, Leroy Johnson, he's the one that holds everything and all these other people are just like supporters, almost like wives.
0: Right. Well, and just to be clear, that's how it was initially with Joseph Smith. Like, he was the one true guy, and then everyone else kind of supported Like, even in the beginning, Joseph Smith was saying... Yeah, everyone can receive revelation from God and then realize very quickly that was a mistake because all of a sudden his peers are starting to have revelations about the church and he's like, actually God told yeah, me that your revelations of it. Satan. Like, sorry, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. It's just me.
1: That's <laughs> <sighs> just something that's so fascinating. I'm just going down tangents now, like, but the control of like where revelation can come from. I'm the one that speaks for God. Yeah. Anyway, so long story short. That that creates a split because the prophet at the time, Leroy Johnson, kicks off two members of the council, two members of the of the leadership, uh, Alma Timpson and J.M. Hammond, and that is what creates the religion that I am a part of, known as the Work, the Work mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Again, many people in my church growing up, well, pretty much one hundred percent of them, besides the those that were born. When it was Since it was made, we're all a part of pretty, – uh, pretty much all of them were a part of this organization that is now turned into like Warren Jeffs and that sort of thing. So yeah, my church was headquartered like five minutes down the road from Colorado City and in a place called Centennial Park. It's hard to find on a map, but if you can find Colorado City, you're not far from Centennial Park. Many people from Centennial Park still lived in Colorado City. They didn't physically move their house. It was interesting though that the two groups – intermingled a little bit in terms of living in the same place but never almost never interacted with each other it's like mm. they were like nobody talked to each other each other because it was like you don't want to them to ruin your testimony there each yeah. one is the, the apostate each one is the other it wasn't until much later in life almost right until the point i was about to leave where i'm taking friends through colorado city and i'm telling them about Look at these people. Look what they believe. Look at they believe. And one of my friends is like, it's kind of just like what you guys believe. And I'm like, oh, oh no, we're, we're way, we're way, we're way different. And then, and my friends were like genuinely confused, like, but how are they, how, I mean, they wear different clothes kind of, but how are they different in terms of belief? And I'm like, oh frick. And it's wow. to this day, to this day, there are people in the work that don't understand how close this connection is. Yeah. They think that they are that there is a gulf. They feel like it's a grand canyon between the two. They're <laughs> living 5 minutes apart and they feel like they're completely separate entities and that there's no connection whatsoever. It's fascinating. It's fascinating.
0: I am so glad you brought that up because it's literally exactly what I said in the beginning of this interview, which is, "Oh, we don't have anything to do with the fundamentalists. Like they're not us. We believe totally different things when in reality really don't. There's just a few extra rules that they're doing that the original prophets were doing. So I find that so fascinating that even when you come from a literal, the same church, it's split in two, Mm -hmm. they still believe it's us versus them. And that really speaks to the culture and the indoctrination that these people have over the congregation, which is we have it right. They have it wrong. We are doing yep. all of the Lord's work and they are run by Satan, us versus them. It's just so uh-huh. intense. That's just like the perfect way to prove that no matter where you come from, when you have someone in control, in power, they can make you believe anything because you're taught to obey. Totally. Keep, sweet, pray, and obey, right? We'll bring that up <laughs> exactly. again. That's another yeah. uh, amazing documentary. Be if, led as
1: though by her. Such a great good documentary. I love that
0: yeah. Documentary. Yeah. It's so good. So... Let's talk about then when the split happened, as far as you know, because I'm sure you've researched it a little bit more now. What were the main differences between the two? Besides, you mentioned the clothing
1: at the time, almost nothing. The at the time, it was literally the difference between what is it, it's called the one man doctrine dispute, essentially. So, one faction of people said one person holds it. One other faction said we hold it in common. Mm over time things were a little bit different because as you can imagine when you have one person in charge you can have more centralized control to do these other things and you see it play out in what ends up happening what ends up happening after Leroy Johnson dies ruling jeffs becomes and in, comes into power cuz mm-hmm. he was like part of the council so he's now the one man and so the 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 congregation is for a couple generations now, have been worshiping the prophet. And a lot of people think that Warren – I don't know what you've, how much you go into this in the other episodes, but outside of anybody that studies fundamentalism, they think that Warren started the cult. And they mm-hmm. think that yeah. he's the one that – and that's not the case. Like,
0: Yeah, he took over.
1: He took over. In fact, he slid his way in there. It's, yeah. it's quite – it's quite uh, like cunning the way he did it because everybody was conditioned to think that there's one person that has it, and his dad Rulin, started to get sick, and that still wasn't how he got in. As far as like saying I'm coming in and and uh, speaking just to help the the organization, he acted for his dad. Mm-hmm. So he when when Warren came in. He said, my dad's not ill enough, but the words out of my mouth is though my father is speaking them. And then Rulon – they had this whole weird thing at the time, too, that Rulon wasn't ever going to die or he was going to live until he was 300. Right. Oh, jeez. He did not live till he was 300. He, spoiler alert. Right. He did not. <laughs> yes. But FLDS culture, uh, they still believe – they, they preach, well, he's, he's not really dead. He's just in the other room. That was a sentence that we heard all the time. He's not really dead. He's in the other room. So when Warren spoke, he was still speaking for his dad.
0: Okay. Quite literally in their beliefs.
1: That's how he – that's how it was portrayed to the point where the Got trust it. was in. And then finally – because he was not anywhere in the, the the main hierarchy as like gaining power. There was other people that they respected, but nobody respected – anybody more than Roland Jeffs at the time. And since he was speaking for Roland Jeffs, that he had like this implicit trust. Then he had the actual trust. Then when he had the total control, that's where shit started to get really controlling. Mm. And so this is all just tied back to the differences. So Warren had way more control than the leadership, like centralized control. There's still tons of control in the work, but because Warren had more hold of control, that's where you hear, All the stories that I'm sure Jude talked about, or you know, getting people to dress even more, you know, modestly and conservatively, and being able to take families away from families and you know, uh, reassign people and that sort of thing. Whereas mine it still had some controlling elements. Like I didn't wear this ever growing up short sleeves because you had to wear the, you know, the garments, the long yeah. underwear. We can't let the outside world see it. Um, But it just wasn't as extreme as Warren Jeff's church. And that's what I think is, a, is an important point to make is Mormon church, cults, other things. All these things are like on a, a sliding scale a, a, yeah. a spectrum of cultiness you know and sometimes they don't start completely culty but the longer they go the cultier they get mm-hmm. and i would argue that's exactly what we see play out with warren is it got cultier and cultier and cultier yeah. and i mean that could be a warning sign cuz you can be a part of something that feels okay today but hopefully it's that way in 10 years cuz it can slide
0: that's so interesting that you brought that up because I just recorded with Daniela Mestanek-Young, who was in The Children of God, and she's writing a second book right now where, and in fact, um, you guys have similar missions. Her Her book is called Uncultured, and I know that your podcast oh, nice. is along those lines, but she's coming out with another book now because she's been studying cults, and she talks about how Yeah, there are different traits that you can say if you have all of these traits, you may be in a cult, but most of it has to do with the journey and how how it gets cultier as it goes on. So it's just interesting that you brought that up because literally after your video is gonna be her video. Oh, nice. Um, So stay tuned, guys. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, let's dive into what it was like for you then, the specific rules, the day-to-day life, what it was like growing up in that way and what made it a little bit culty.
1: Somewhere along the line, especially for a guy, you lose yourself pretty fast, especially right around after eight. Because, I mean, when you're young, honestly, childhood's pretty awesome. I mean, it's going to be <laughs> easy to talk about the stuff from like, there's the, there's the shit that happens that's like horrible. And then there's other stuff in cults that is horrible. But how do these things proliferate? There's the good elements too.
0: Of course, yeah.
1: There's the elements that people love, there's the family aspect. Um, I loved growing up with so many siblings.
0: How many siblings did you have?
1: I had 44 siblings.
0: Blows my mind. 44 siblings.
1: 44 siblings. I think that's why I like New York City. You know, I'm just looking out my (laughs) apartment window right now and seeing all these people on the basketball court playing. It reminds me of, you know, growing up on a farm and like going, leaving my bedroom or looking out my bedroom window and seeing siblings playing basketball, others playing a game. Like I can go get some food at the, at the dinner table. Like it, it has those elements to it. Um, so what I was just going to say is childhood had There were some definite hard parts. I don't know if we're going to get into some of those now, but for there is, there's uh, the main point I think I want to make right now is there's this, there is this like protection in a lot of families where children get to hang out with other kids. They have adults that are watching over them and there's an element of awesome, Mm. but then somewhere along the line from eight into teenage years, this at least certainly for me, there's really no place for that individual child stuff anymore Mm -hmm. from that point forward you really just need to get get to get with the program start conforming like before eight there was like all of this like freedom like i was into computers i was like we had we got our first computer that like was supposed to help us with homework and school because we were homeschooled and stuff like that and i became obsessed with it but around eight then it's like okay Now you're in the army of Jesus, and now you have to start doing the right things to advance. Mm. As a guy, your advancement in my church all comes from the priesthood council as the church leadership, which is also connected to your dad. So my entire life suddenly became obsessive around making sure that I was doing the right thing for my dad. And my grandfather, who was one of the church leaders, mm-hmm. um, so tippy toeing around everything that I did, you know, making sure that I was the the first major advancement after baptism was getting the priesthood, right? So the only way to get that was to make sure I'm pleasing my dad so that I'm recommended for that. And,
0: oh, can I pop in real quick? Yeah, um, that's a difference that I didn't know about. So I know that in mainstream Mormonism. It's just like you get it when I think you turn 12. It's like, here's the power of God, Mm 12-year-old. So in your case, you had to be recommended to get it.
1: Totally. And in fact, a lot of times you know how you get it at like 12, right? Yeah. You get it in in LDS Church around 12. I didn't get my first priesthood until I was like 14. And that wasn't uncommon that there was like a spacing because it's almost like your dad holding a little bit of power. Like, I don't know if you're quite ready yet. Are you being good enough? Are you conforming enough? Are you being – Keep, sweetie. Enough. Are you like? Are you can, are you being completely obedient? And really, what that translates to are you you either being you're either being super obedient, super conforming, or you also get really good at lying and putting yeah. on a face. Which there's a there's a mix, and I'm sure I was a mix of, of that. But it really gets to this place where you start to lose your own autonomy. You still have these. Like you're you're in you believe the whole story that you came to this world to get a body to choose good so that you can keep on advancing hopefully get Mm -hmm. to heaven hopefully the best heaven and hopefully get to be a god someday and Mm -hmm. so I wanted to keep growing and advancing so that meant doing the things to make my dad happy and my grandfather happy so that I could get the first priesthood the second priesthood you know get to the place where I had the Melchizedek priesthood. And during this time, like I'm a teenager, like I, like, of course you, you want to like date and see those things, except you, you can't because that Mm. could mess up any of how that is viewed. Cause in my church, it's arranged marriages. There is no, there is none of that. There is no dating. And so, yeah, it, it, it really over, over time starts to like take out the individual. And it really creates this conforming machine if you're a guy, if you're wanting to advance.
0: Yeah. And there's something that I wanted to clarify for listeners to viewers. Um, When it comes to the Mormon church, it's very clear cut. And I'm, I'm seeing that it's the same with yours as well, but even more specific. So everything is handed to you this is your path. You get baptized when you're eight, you get the Melchizedek priesthood. If you're a boy, if you're a girl, you start learning how to become a wife and a mother. When you get, well, when you're 18, you go on a mission. If you're a boy, Uh which I'm curious, was it the same for you? Did you guys serve missions as well?
1: Yeah, except it was different. So in FLDS culture, there's no proselytizing. That's why many people haven't heard about it. Instead, it's like a community mission. Oh, got it. Um, Where it's basically just dedicating your life for a couple of years to the church, doing community service, that sort of thing.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, so basically your whole life is set out for you. Once you get home, you get married, at least for mainstream Mormons. Uh But it sounds like in your case, you get married even younger, and you're told that the more children that you have, the more righteous that you are, and it's selfish if you don't have as many kids as physically possible. And so then it creates this whole thing for women that feel – Unworthy. if they have fertility issues. Why doesn't totally. God love me? What am I doing wrong? Yeah. I need to pray more. It's a It's a really vicious cycle there. So I think what happens is, like you're mentioning, when you have your whole life laid out for you and all you have to do is check the boxes, it really yes. takes away a lot of choice and a lot of agency. And one of my biggest pet peeves about the church is they're like, Oh, the reason uh, you guys have more freedom than anybody because we just put you on the path that gives you the most happiness, which means you don't have to worry about the sinful yes. things. You don't have to worry about going down the wrong path, which means you have more agency. And it's like, no, yeah, that's, that's actually thing. that's actually not it. That's not the case at all. Same it's thing. so restrictive to where all of your choices are made for you.
1: And, and there's the whole story that before this life, there's this whole story like you right. chose in to the prime the pre existence, you have the whole like from the moment you're born, it's all laid out. And you yes. just do those things, you check the boxes, you're 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 golden.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I also want to get your opinion on what it was like in your group around racism because Speaking of pre-existence, they say that if you have colored skin in this life, it's because you weren't valiant enough in the pre-existence. Yeah. Now, these yeah. are rules that permeated the mainstream Mormon church all the way up until 78, when they finally allowed uh-huh. black people to have the priesthood and go to the temple, which, by the way, are what you need to have to get to the highest level of heaven. There are levels. So... The church is has a super racist past, and totally. I'm wondering because you kept so many of the fundamentals.
1: My church has a super racist present.
0: Okay, that's what I'm. That's what I wanted to get at. Is what did that look like in your group?
1: What it looked like is just a bunch of white people. <laughs> so there is no diversity. Okay. Because of that. Okay. Um. So that's it's actually a very troubling thing because we look out into America today. And we're, and we're trying to squash racism. And some people are like, some people wonder, like, I mean, we certainly made amazing progress, but other people wonder, like, there's no, like, there's not blatant racism anymore. Right. And there is like, it's kind of Mm. like it's it would probably be shocking to a lot of people but i mean i don't know if you have you gone to the story on a previous episode of as far as like where the belief system comes from and how it forms a little
0: bit yeah do you want me
1: to do you want me to cover that or yeah you can touch like on pre- it real quick yeah so there's this whole idea of the previous existence in in mormon history it's in lds history it's you can go look it up in like sermons by the early mormon prophets LDS prophets and it still is what fundamentalism believes but here's the bullshit story (laughs) and I have to say that because it's it's so bananas so good um in the pre-existence there was this God goes to his two children Lucifer and Jesus and he's like okay we need to have a plan all of y'all want a body in Mormon culture, the the da, the 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 God has a body. He was once a man. He kept choosing right. He followed the good path. He ticked all the boxes. He got his own mm-hmm. universe, and that's where we come from. We are like God. We want to have the body. He's like, okay, we need to come up with a plan. Jesus, what's your plan? Or actually ask Lucifer first, what's your plan? Lucifer says, well, I think everybody should get a body. Everybody should do whatever the fuck they want. If they mess up, they still get to come back to heaven. And since everybody's saved, I want all the honor and the glory, and you need to like praise me. Uh-huh. And God's like, okay, cool idea. What's your idea, Jesus? And Jesus' is like, I think everybody should get a body. I think everybody should have the right to choose right and wrong. Um, but if they sin, I will die for their sins so that they can still be saved. But God, you, I want to honor you for giving me the opportunity. God's like, I like that idea, I'll choose yours. And so Jesus, Jesus's idea is picked, but there was like a bunch of us and there was like a third of us, three thirds of different, uh, factions in heaven. One third went with Jesus. That's all of us. Yeah. One third, uh, went with Lucifer's idea and Lucifer, because his idea was he, it wasn't picked, he was pissed. So he created a commotion in heaven. The third of us that were on Jesus' side decided to have a war in heaven with Lucifer and his people. We were so valiant, we kicked all of Lucifer's people and the, and the spirits out. That's what created the devil and his like demons He's and hell's angels. Yep, the little minions. These were our brothers and sisters that like didn't that didn't choose Jesus' plan. We had to kick them out of heaven. But notice so far, I'm only talking about two thirds. Like yeah. one one of us is valiant. Like what do we get? Well, we get a body first of all, and we also get white skin. That's that's amazing. But there was this one third of people that didn't do anything. They just couldn't make a decision. They just what's called they just sat on the sat fence. on
0: the fence. <laughs>
1: they sat on the fence and they couldn't decide. And who was that? Well, that was the black people. And so God, in His infinite mercy, said, "You know what? I'm not going to cast you guys out into Lucifer's kingdom. I'll give you a body, but I'm going to curse you with, with dark skin. That's what oh I'm going to do. But you'll still have a body. You'll just always come second. You'll never hold any sort of like leadership position because you're meant to serve those that fought valiantly." That's the story. And so we're raised early on. To believe that if you were born with black skin, treat them like, treat, treat African Americans like you would any other human in terms of like kindness and, and compassion. If anything, be compassionate towards them because, you know, they have a longer journey than you because they didn't choose. And so treat them well, but definitely don't ever think that they should ever be above you. Don't ever think that they're even equal to you. In fact, where it gets really shitty is there's this whole belief system around – in Mormonism, you should always be going forward and not backward. So you're judged based on what you're given. So if you're a Mormon, whether fundamentalist or LDS – you have more responsibility than the average person out in the world because you're given the truth. Yeah. You you're in the one true church, so God expects a lot of you, right? Like you're lucky, you're on the path. So for you to have a, to sin, that's worse than somebody out in the world having sin because you've been given the truth. You sh- and so you you're judged based on the level of what you've been given. Yes. So, if you've been given a white body, if you are in this position, And you were to marry a black person, or heaven forbid, just out of wedlock, that is like a tremendous transgression. Mm. Not for them, but for you, and then you will be cursed yeah, because of that.
0: You have quotes from the prophet saying, do not mix your seed with the N-word, which I will not say on the podcast.
1: Yes. But...
0: It is yes. so disgusting. And these are quotes coming from the 60s, the 70s.
1: I know. Like really And the disgusting. 2023s. And yeah. the 2023s. Oh.
0: In my upbringing,
1: it was one of my first arguments with that didn't make sense really? as a teenager. Because, well, w- was this. Because I was taught that it was so pervasive and it was so – the curse was so strong that if a woman – Who's married to a man, a white man in the church, were to go have sex with a black guy. She has the curse. And if she were to go home and have sex with her husband, he has the curse.
0: So basically they learn this from STDs. (laughs)
1: I guess. It sounds like that's where they're
0: getting their logic.
1: (laughs) You want to know how bad this goes? This goes so bad that like there's, I don't know if it comes from like Mormon scripture, but it's taught that if the curse happens, your skin's going to change colors.
0: Wait. Like
1: you're, yes, yes. Like you're going to actually change your skin color. Like over time. And it's even, and it gets even worse. If a black person continues to live good on their path, then they can eventually, whether this life because of the second coming of Jesus and other things that happen or certainly in the next life, their skin will turn white.
0: Yes. So I have heard, okay, I've heard the their countenance became lighter. They became white and delightsome, right? They actually say that in white the Book of Mormon, and then they changed it because they're like, this is super racist. Yeah, my
1: church would make fun of your church for changing it from <laughs> white and delightsome to pure and delightsome. Yeah, That's what it changed to, was to pure and delightsome because it sounded racist. And we're like, look, this proves that they're not of God. They're worried about what, what? other people are thinking. It's white and delightsome because white is right. You know, it's, 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 it's so crazy when you're out of, it's been what five years that I've been, that I've left. It's not, it's not not, that long. I've lived a lot of life. It's not that long, but the more you're out of it, the more you're like, holy fuck. I can't (sighs) believe the capacity of the human animal to believe such nonsense given the right conditions. Right. And that's, I think a big point for anybody listening. We're, We're talking about the cult. We're talking about the, the, the institutions that create it. I think an interesting part of this whole process, though, is us as individuals because there's no telling what you would do or what you would think or what you would believe given the right environment Mm -hmm. in which you're interacting. Yeah. And I think it's important to at least understand that so that you maintain your own individuality, your own independent thinking Mm -hmm. in any environment that it looks good to you. Because here's the thing I'll tell you about cults. The last people that know it's a cult
0: are the people that are are in in it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just like the last, I like the whole quote that the last um, creature on the planet that learns about water is a fish. Yeah. We're, we all have those tendencies because we're human and we have to like find ways to counteract them and make sure that we're maintaining our own autonomy no matter what environment we're in.
0: Yeah. And what are some of the other things that now that you're out of it can look back and say, I can't believe I believed this certain doctrine that led me to live a certain way.
1: A lot of it was, it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of little things. Yeah, um, I could just go on a little ramble, but it's a lot of them are leading to fear. Mm. Um, again, I never, I never dated. My first kiss was to an arranged marriage on our wedding day. Mm. Thankfully, I've since dated since leaving and stuff like that. She ended up staying in the religion. Um, I, when I left, um, I never went swimming because for some reason fundamentalist culture believed that water is controlled by the devil.
0: Yes, Mormons believe that too. Or regular yeah, Mormons. Mormons
1: at, regular Mormons have pushed it to Sunday, at least, I think.
0: Yeah, so so they push it to Sunday, but but missionaries can't ever swim. Missionaries can never swim.
1: Yeah, so it's 24-7 in ours. And somebody asked me recently on another podcast, like, wait, what about two things? What about drinking water? And I'm like, good point. And then like, but the other one, like, Aren't you baptized? baptized? Like, (laughs) good point. Like, why do we like (laughs) all this stuff? It's so crazy how it how it. But so that that's a big thing. But a big difference since leaving is every step that you take when you're in fundamentalist Mormonism. You're worried of of stepping off the path everything is all about hurting you onto the right path. Mm. And the LDS church has this too. I just saw something that just came out to like keep missionaries within the church after being a missionary that they're now calling yeah. these other people to, to like check in with them. them. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's these things to keep you on the path and there's all, many of them can be physical. They can be ritualistic such as like go to church every week, things to keep you plugged in but then a lot of them are just psychological
0: most of them
1: yes yes all of it leads to that so you end up becoming a self-centered thing that's that's the scariest part is a lot of these things turn out that way where you don't need to have the leadership there all the time you are centering yourself in your yes. own private thoughts
0: yes in
1: fact you get you get to this place where if you start questioning or doubting you don't feel safe with yourself And I didn't feel safe in myself at certain points because I'm like, I'm having questions in my head right now that could damn my soul. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like, I can't tell anybody because then they know that I'm doubting. Yeah. So there's these things like – there's this whole concept. I think it comes early on in Mormonism, but it's certainly pervasive in fundamentalist Mormonism is this whole concept of being in the line of your duty, not getting on the devil's ground and so here's a psychological trick make sure you're always doing the thing you should be doing when you should be doing it There, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. so if you're if it's 10 p.m. be in your home be I in your was bed midnight. Like, cuz okay so see, we're just a little bit more extreme Yeah. So just on that the, just on the just spectrum a little bit. <laughs> and so so there are all these things like part of my story like how how i got out was i wanted to go to college i'm the only one in my family still to this day out of all of my siblings to go to college. Mm. But one of the things that my grandfather told me when I went like had a meeting with him to see if I could go, see if he'd let me go, he was like, you know, stay on God's ground, not the devil's ground. So even though like the University of Utah is like devil's ground, but because we're sending you, you're going to be protected.
0: Mm. But
1: only go to classes and then come back to your dad's house. Because if you go to parties, you're now out of the line of your duty. You're going to be in conversations and environments you want to be in. So go to class, come home. Go to classes, come home. And so there are these things. And so now if I'm out in class and they're like, yo, a bunch of us are going to go down to stalled ground pizza Mm -hmm. and have pizza at 945 and they close at 11, I'm now at least having to have the conversation with myself of like, oh man, I really I really want to go hang out with these people to have pizza. Like, I'm 22, 23 years old. Self-censoring, if it's okay,
0: Mm. am
1: I going to be – is my soul in jeopardy to go have pizza with my classmates because now I'm out of the bounds? Because I'm not in class. I'm at a pizza parlor.
0: Oh, my god. That is
1: where things get scary. And here's the thing. It happens – in all side societies, not just cults. And that's the interesting part. And so it, it's 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 fascinating. I'm fascinated by the whole thing.
0: I'm so glad that you brought that up because I was just having this conversation with Jonathan, my husband, not even a few days ago, where he was like, the thing, the cults that are the most successful are the ones that don't have to physically be there to control you. It's the ones that make yeah. you do it yourself. When you figure out how to infiltrate the brains of these cult members and how to get them to punish themselves and have their own penance, that's when they are the most controlled. And that's why Mormonism slips under the radar so many times because people are like, they're not throwing people in the hole like Scientology and they're not beating their members, but they're in their head. And that's why it's so difficult for people to understand when, Mm. especially like me, when I was in it, I was like... I am not in a cult. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm so free. I make all of my own choices, right? Uh But then what you Uh don't realize is they're coercive choices. You feel like you don't have a choice and that's why you make that choice. Even though you can tell yourself, oh, no, no, I did that because I wanted to. Did you? To
1: me, that is the scariest thing. Yeah. Because what you're talking about, because it's not obvious. Yeah. It's different when you are being held captive in a literal prison, and you're like, how am I going to escape? Mm-hmm. But when that prison is a prison of your own mind, and you don't, it there's not physical bars and barriers, like, that is where it gets really tricky. Mm-hmm. And to me, those are harder to break out of. Yeah, You have to, like, really question, yeah, you have to do a lot of deconstructing internally of, like, like those are harder to escape because you have to escape these things that you've developed that worked at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Like literally they kept me moving forward. Like literally it was good, in quotes, for me to develop to to like listen to my dad. Even if I disagreed because it eventually got me the priesthood or eventually a recommendation sure. to the church authority to get my wife so that a wife is certainly important to keep on advancing. Like that was good, but over time you realize, like, you, you develop these, these patterns, these mental patterns that, that, that are not healthy in the long run. But again, I want to talk to a psychologist on my podcast I mean, should we, about <laughs> this yeah. whole thing. Um, like, thank God for therapy. Uh, so I'd have to say too, like, <laughs> I don't know if you have holding out help or, uh, or what do you call it? Uh, better help as a, right. as a sponsor, but they should totally sponsor. It's <laughs>
0: definitely should. been
1: helpful to <laughs> unpack a lot of this stuff.
0: Oh my gosh, Calvin, we could talk for days and days and days about just like, the mind control and everything and it's so fascinating and I love this but I want to talk about you and I want to talk about your story okay. and I want to talk about Deal. what it was like growing up with 44 siblings how many moms did you mm-hmm. have and like what your childhood actually looked like and and kind of how you reflect on it now
1: yeah I've had a mix I am um, certainly leaving it I've had flashes of you know like first the good stuff there, there was really a lot of great things um having 44 siblings i only had four moms so they had 11 to 13 kids wow. each um because w- again in our belief system there's all these spirits in heaven that are that are in line waiting to have a body mm-hmm. so that's why it's selfish to not have them because you're like delaying their progression that's mm. so fascinating just the way the human's ability to storytell and us to believe <laughs> the invisible is so fascinating yes but upbringing was you know we grew up on a farm so we grew up our we grew our own corn you know tomatoes potatoes carrots uh like we like the boys especially were involved in everything outside and the sisters were involved mostly with the things on the inside and so growing up like working with my brothers and you know uh taking care of the garden and the animals and that sort of thing uh playing games like in a weird way, I remember when I was really young thinking that I was lucky that I was that I was born in something a little bit more strict because I had some neighbors that got to do anything they wanted and I loved the fact that I could almost get caught <laughs> like getting doing something naughty like being at the end of the property playing guns when you weren't supposed to because then you'd like get whipped or something. Oh wow and I was like that makes it that makes it more exciting in a weird way. Um, I remember thinking, which is nonsense. Um, But the upbringing then gets to this place where the angry part kicks in where I very much on the outside looking in realized that there were some things that were definitely stunted developmentally. And Mm -hmm. and I was like leaving – I was like pissed at God or the universe, whatever, like that I was born in a cult because I just – like just normal things like – Having an adult figure that had enough time for you,
0: Mm.
1: or getting to associate. Even though I had a lot of siblings, I like differences. Like I would have, like it would have been so cool for me as a social person. Like even to go to public school, something so simple. Like I didn't, I didn't hang out with anybody that didn't have my pretty much my same last name. Oh wow! Yeah, because our family. My family, the Wayman family, did not live in the headquartered area near Colorado City or yeah. Centennial Park. We lived up in Salt Lake oh. um, about four hours away. So we were like away from the main thing. And so we mostly stuck to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So everybody that I hung out with all the way through my childhood and, teen- and teenage years were, were either siblings or cousins. And so I, I craved this variety of different thought and i don't know how i got this of all of the different siblings but i i just had this this intense curiosity and i like to hang out with other people and so i don't i didn't get that and i think that was ultimately what led me to say you know what i want to do something different from anything that's been patterned up to me at this point and that is i want to go to college
0: yeah i'm wondering about the way that you actually did you cohabitate with all of your siblings jude mentioned that she lived in a seventeen thousand square foot home for only 16 kids and now i'm doing the math thinking how big of a house did you need for that many people did you all live in the same house
1: yeah that was all one house wow i don't know what the square footage is but definitely not that big okay but like 12 bathrooms 12 bedrooms something like that whoa but my entire life yeah, most of my life it was like sleeping in bunk beds or, or at least the same room with multiple brothers. Mm-hmm. Like one of the best joys that most people do not understand the joys of this, unless you're a, a, a plague kid, and that is when you get your your own bedroom for the first time. And I got my own bedroom when a brother got married and moved out when I was like 19. And I was, oh my gosh, my own space! Finally, yeah. my own space. This is this is so cool.
0: Where were you in the lineup of kids, and how did you feel toward your all of your siblings? Did you all get along? Was it? I can just imagine the chaos, right? I mean, I grew up with two brothers, yeah. and even that is like, he's hitting me. No, I'm not. I like, can <laughs> just imagine.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I'm the eleventh of the forty-five, so oh, I'm one of the older kids, yeah, technically. And because we were pretty much just working or working and living as a big family some of the dynamics that you see out in the real world kind of played out there so we would sometimes form cliques mm. of like these kids like and enemies within oh, like no. we're, like we're not talking to them today they're be, like tr- like that siblings a tattletale they're going she's going to go tell mama oh, so no. like give that sibling the silent treatment i mean we fought certainly um my brothers and i The one thing that this is one of the things that I that I am sad that I didn't have. When I see other siblings, I see this like super cohesiveness, and I'm sure some other fundamentalist families still have that. I I never had that,
0: Mm.
1: and I think a big reason for it, besides the fact that there's so many, is that we didn't have an actual outside force. Like if you go to school and with a sibling, there's like the other kids, and then you're like you're going to look out for the sibling, right? But we didn't really have that because you're looking out for this the sibling but with another sibling right and so it like blurred that it was it was like looking out with an didn't we didn't have real outsiders and, and so in because of that I mean the other thing too as far as like how we viewed each other in my upbringing favoritism of any kind or jealousy of any kind was incredibly taboo mm-hmm we were supposed to like each other equally. So my dad tried to very much uh, show no favoritism among his wives, certainly tried to show no favoritism among his kids. Each of the moms were sometimes suspicious over whose kids were getting a little bit better treatment. And so there was all this like pressure within our family to make sure that nobody was being two favoritism and and we even had a pet word for it which is going to be funny because we're talking about polygamy the the pet word we used in my upbringing if you were being that way two favoritism is monogamy really you're you're acting too monogamistic oh
0: my goodness yes
1: it's 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 gentilish, it's it's (laughs) it's a form of selfishness and i remember the story like uh it it spilled over in some very unhealthy ways and certainly with the sibling thing with not developing deep connections and so like it was supposed to be a good thing i guess but i remember my mom my birth mom once creating letting like one summer we all got together as kids and like planted a certain part of the garden and that was our garden mm. like our part of the garden like I Calvin got to say this 4 foot area that's I'm in charge of this. I put a post down, had my name on it, Calvin section. Um I'm going to be in charge of watering it. My brother David, his is right over there like that's cool. My dad came home and he's like get rid of all that shit. Mm. We're that's too monogamistic. Um like we'll do it together. It's everybody's garden. But I remember as a young kid noticing the shift in myself that's like why am I not excited about it anymore? I was so excited to see them. And 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 what's weird though is like I could have helped my brother David section and that would help. But now it's like, but whose is who? Like I could do that. Am, am I helping myself or somebody else? Like it, it really broke down the opportunity to create connection. And so because favoritism – was so frowned upon and everybody was supposed to be treated equally. And because there were so many, instead of having a bunch of deep connections, there was a lot of equal shallow ones. Mm. And I think that's, has lived on till this day. Like, um, a bunch of my siblings, like I, I'm, I'm on relatively good terms with all of them. Not uh, many of them have left at this point, but there are different levels of leaving, um, because you can leave the religion but still be in the bubble. I did that for a while, and that's different than if you actually leave the bubble. Right. And almost very few of my siblings have done that. Um, But I have a lot of siblings that it's, they're kind of like, hey, we're on good terms. We're chill even if we are in different belief systems at this point. And then I have like three that are like deep. Uh, But that was almost like since leaving is like, oh, it's okay. It's okay to say you're my favorite sister. That's so cool. I can say you're my favorite sibling, mm-hmm. and that's not a problem. Yeah. And so I've developed a deeper connection with, like, like I said, three of my siblings that, you know, didn't have growing up because it would have been a frowned upon thing. Yeah. Because you might make somebody else jealous or something like that if you, you know, had a favorite.
0: Yeah. When it comes to those monogamous, in your terms, relationships, were you told to feel that way toward all of the mothers as well?
1: Totally. Wow. Totally. Yes. In fact, some families take it so extreme where they try to make it so that if there's like a, a lot of kids and like three or four moms or whatever, that the kids don't even know exactly which one born them.
0: No way. And they do that
1: as like, and they think that that's that they think that's great. I think that's great. And we and we had a form of that. We I knew who my mom was. Most of my siblings knew who their mom was, but it was still being like, no, this one's just as much your mom. And so like you can like go to them and talk to them. And again, there's these little elements that start to sound cool, but then you see how it's not cool. Like it's like, oh, cool! I have more than one mom. That's awesome. But then like these parts of where like it breaks down the possibility of like true deeper connection with your actual mom. But yeah, I know kids that they grew up not knowing who their actual birth mom was because the, the, they again, it's just taught that that's cool somehow.
0: Wow. So, And I can see certain parts of that where it takes a village and it seems like from a surface level that that would be great to have so many people to take care of you. But yeah, I can imagine that if I were in charge of 44 children, how do you really know them? How do you really understand their needs other than just keeping them alive, which in itself would be a huge task?
1: Totally. So I can
0: imagine. Have, Have any of... Those mothers left, and have you been able to form closer bonds since you have left?
1: It's interesting It's not my story to tell. I'll let her tell it but my my birth mom fairly recently in the last year says she has left at least at least mentally okay. because she's had like some of her kids like myself and her other- and other kids that have left, and that's really like made her open to it and so she she's not about the religion at all at this point. She's still physically living there? Right. But she has left. Like she's still married to my dad? So I don't know exactly what that dynamic is supposed to look like or does look like, but she says she has left. Um so it is it's interesting. It's on all different levels cuz again I have siblings that that they they've been out, they they never They went – my younger siblings started to go to public school even though I grew up not going to public school. And those ones said, you know what? I'm not doing this. But they still live in Utah. And then myself and only one other sibling are out of the bubble. Mm. So out of the Utah, Arizona living space. You know? Yeah. Uh, Every other one is like, yeah, living there. And I have a sister in Hawaii and I'm in New York City. So –
0: and what's your relationship like with your dad, or what was it like since you only had one dad to focus on? Yeah, did he was he able to give a lot of attention to the children?
1: <sighs> That's a roller coaster, and it's a complicated situation because uh, when I was really young, just like any other kid, like he was your hero, you know, like you're, you're you're taught and trained that like he is your priesthood head. Like it's so important to have this whole concept of like the person you're accountable to in Mormonism and make sure that you're in good standing there. And again, he was the thing. He was the, the access to my advancement. When I left, he and I had a huge falling out. Mm. Um, I showed up to his house dressed like this in short sleeves. He did not like that. This was like a year out. And I basically stood up to him for the first time and said, Hey, if you need me to leave, I'll leave. But you know, Don't talk to me like this. And he, we had a big scuffle and he basically just said, pushed me out of his house and said, leave and just never come back. Mm -hmm. As time went on, I think he started to feel bad and he invited me back, but I wasn't like in the space. I was like, no, I'm not. I, 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 no thanks. Yeah. It's going to take a lot more than that. And then, so I, I didn't want any much to do with him for a long time. And then that started to shift about a year ago. Because we found out that he has cancer, Um. uh, stage four, and the silver lining in that is there's a lot of conversations that needed to happen from the past that we got to have. Yeah, that I don't think I didn't think we would would ever have them. uh, Frankly, I just don't think you would ever do that. And so last year, last summer, we reconnected. We got to have some conversations. I got to hear words out of his mouth. I had never thought I would ever hear him him say, Mm. like essentially saying sorry for certain things. Yeah, And so right now I would say it's the best it's ever been because not, not in the sense that like we're, that everything's perfect or I feel as good about him as I did when I was like five years old, but in the sense that it is the most honest that it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And it's just different. Like I see him as the human that he is. He grew up in this same structure. His dad was like a world war two army dude that was ended up being the leader of the church and like very, very like this way, this way, this way, he didn't have a lot of space to grow. And then he has all this responsibility and uh, like, it, it, it's so interesting and complex to see How it all unfolds. And that's not to take away any of the accountability for things that he might have done in terms of like physical abuse and that sort of thing with any of his kids. But it does give some sort of like compassion on the complexity of the entire thing. And so I can look at him now more as a human, where I used to look at him first as like this person on a pedestal Mm -hmm. and then like this monster. That I think deserve prison time to this like equal footing person to just like this kind of flawed human that I have a bit more compassion for and and love, I would say even.
0: Wow, that's so big of you to be able to see it from that bird's eye view. And I know it's difficult to kind of separate yourself and be able to be compassionate and look at their own upbringing. But it's so important that we can do that and give grace to people who didn't really know any better or maybe could have done better, but with their situation, it was hard for them to make certain choices. They felt forced to make certain choices. So it's really beautiful that you're able to see it from that point of view. I'm wondering when it comes to the medical situation, how does your group specifically address hospitals? Do they view them as okay? I know some groups don't and don't agree with psychiatric and Western medicine.
1: Yeah. It's a mix of views. Uh, I think it's viewed first and foremost, try to get a priesthood blessing. You know, uh, they, right. that's one thing they would say is like, uh, that the priesthood's more powerful than the best surgeon ever. So go get the priesthood council to like put olive oil on your head and give you a blessing. And that's going to get rid of your cancer way more than anything else. Mm. Um, so there is a lot of that. And then like, of course, like God made hospitals, to work for the priesthood. That's kind of what they view it as like, instead of like, maybe the blessing is like, go, if you break your arm, go get it fixed. Um, but there certainly is some parts of the religion that, I mean, I think it's one of the, sadly, I think that's what's going to end his life soon is the mm. beliefs in the religion because he knew he had this cancer a decade ago. Oh no. But before it was stage four, you know, like he he felt like it was his duty to keep fathering more children. Forty four, uh. forty five, just wasn't enough. And if he took that surgery, like he can't keep doing his duty if he yeah. was given the chance. You know. Wow. And so it's it's a lot. It's so it's fascinating. It's 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 sad it's 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 intriguing when you take a step back it, every once in a while i somehow i sometimes just try to get out of my own head my own body and just try to look at this from like a like not even a human level just looking at the ants that humans are just figuring out mm-hmm. life and it's so weird and so <laughs> interesting in all the different cultures and then see how they form and how mormonism formed and how it formed into fundamentalism and how were such storytellers and th- my belief that's how Mormonism is still exists today is like notice the ones that stuck back west back East. They're not nearly as big of as an organization. It's because they had competing right. stories. Right. They had like, they had people to bunch up against who are they bumping up against in Utah? Yeah,
0: no nobody. <laughs> they're their own
1: echo chamber of stories that, yeah. that proliferates and proliferates and then fundamentalism, same thing. Like they're closed off to everyone else. Like they don't, I, they don't hang out with it's so interesting. We thought it was just black and white. Well, what about Cubans? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what about, what about anybody? What about everybody in the middle? You know, and, but because we only had th- that concept of like black and white, like there's the stories were like so simplistic. And I think that's one of the things I love about New York City. You're just so bombarded with so many stories, so many cultures that you get, it, it can allow you to like realize that. There's more to life than just your world, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Absolutely.
1: There's so many little worlds.
0: I'm noticing that you definitely have the skill of rising above it and thinking critically and looking down at certain things, which I think one is fueled by your incredible curiosity about the world and your intelligence. And I'm also wondering if you think your ability to dissociate comes from your background, being able to kind of pull yourself out of things and just go through the motions and look mm. at things in a different way. Have you ever considered that?
1: I I see where you're going. And I think, I think there might be something to that. I think where it really comes from, my ability to zoom out, is it actually started with zooming in. When I went to college, I took this philosophy class. And at the time, I was so in the religion. I believed every story. Mm. I, I was I was on the path. The only reason I went to college is I wanted to continue learning. And I, cause Joseph Smith said, man is saved no faster than he gains knowledge. And I'm like, mm. okay, Joseph Smith said that I want to keep gaining knowledge. I don't want to just do construction. I want to learn business. I want to be su- as successful as I can be, maybe use it for God, for good, that sort of thing. And then part of general education is this, is this uh, philosophy class. And this is where everything really started for me, um, of everything we've talked about as far as questioning it. But my professor tells us the story that I just think is just a fun story. But there are these people, it's Plato's Allegory of the Cave. There are these people chained inside of a cave. And she asks, are these people sad? And I'm like, of course they're sad. They're prisoners. And she's like, no, 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 no. Why why would they be sad? And I was like, because they're prisoners. She's like, but it's all they know. Yeah. Yeah. They they they're born in the cave. Like, why would they be sad? And like, oh, interesting. Okay. So they're probably not sad. They're like, no, this is just their normal. I'm like, oh, okay. That's interesting. That was just an interesting thought. I remember having that. And then she was like, um, but the best part of these people's day in the cave is these shadows appear on the wall in front of them every day. And what do you think they think about the shadows? I'm like, I mean, they're shadows. They're boring. Like they're excited about it. Well, why are they excited? Because the room's normally nothing. And now there's shadows. And it's like a new thing. Oh, that's cool. And they argue about the shadows. They're like, what does that shape mean? And they, they storytell around it. and, And that's like their favorite part of the day. Now the story goes, one of the people breaks loose from the chains. And he wanted to, he's always was curious about what was behind the back wall. So he goes behind the back wall when there were shadows appearing and he sees someone holding up a shape in front of a flame. And that is what has created the shadow his entire life. And that blows his mind because his, his whole identity, by the way, all this will tie back to something (laughs) Um, (laughs) as far as like the internal thing is like where all this comes from, as far as perspective shift, his whole world just got broken. Because everything that he thought, he thought shadows were ultimate reality. Then he sees somebody holding up a shape, but then he sees a crack in the wall and he leaves the cave. So if his world was broken when he realized shadow to, let's say it's a shadow of a tree and then he sees the shape of a tree. Now we're seeing a real tree. Mm-hmm. So whiplash, like so different. Like everything he thought he knew was not true, but it, it's not like it's... It's, it's not like it's just not true. It's just like a, it's like a fraction of the depth of what is true. Right. It's like, it's, it's like true-ish, but it, there's like <laughs> so much more, yeah. you know? And at first it scares him. Um, but after it, he like travels the world and like looks around and is like, this is awesome. Like life is so much bigger than I thought. But then he reflects back to his family and people in the cave was like, but I still have friends and family. They need to know about this. So he goes back down to the cave, and he it's dark, so he stumbles, and they're like, are you okay? Can you see? He's like, oh, I can see fine. It's just dark down here. And they're like, what are you talking about? We can see fine, because his eyes had been adjusted to the outside light. Um, So they think that there's something wrong with him. He's like, oh, let me tell you everything that I've seen. And he's trying to tell them everything he's seen, and what do they think?
0: He's crazy. They have no
1: frame of reference. Yes. They think he's gone mad. And so- he starts talking about all these amazing things. He tries to describe a tree and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What could be better than these shadows that we have? He's like, don't you understand? What I'm trying to say is these shadows are nothing compared to what I've seen and what's out there. But now they're like, wait, are you trying to take away our shadows? They feel threatened. And because they feel threatened over what they deem, as the ultimate reality, the precious thing in their life, they kill him. Now, my professor tells us that story, and in the, the moment, I'm just like, oh, I'm like, that's such a cool story. I didn't understand all the implications of it yet, but she's like, okay, now ask yourself, who are you in the story? Can you honestly say that you're someone that wants to seek knowledge and truth? And again, I went to college for that, so I'm like, yeah, I want that. And she's like, if you do want that, can you honestly say that you're someone that would leave the cave, the comfort of everything you've ever known, the comfort of the chains? Or how do you know, how do you know that you think you're learning truth and knowledge, but how do you know you're not just studying shadows on the wall? Ooh,
0: mic drop. (laughs)
1: When she said that, I thought of all the things in that moment. Like I'm getting goosebumps right now reliving this. I get them every single time because I go back to that day in that class because it was like everything zoomed my whole life. I was like, what? Because I was like, in that moment, there wasn't anything that was of, of, of true significance that I had internally discovered or gone out of the cave. Everything was from my dad or my grandfather or from the books they told me to read or from church. And I realized it was all a projected, like, almost like the shadows, like, right. look at these. And in that moment – What that did, it didn't make me all of a sudden think that this was wrong, but it was the first time I had the question of what if it could be wrong. Right. And that was just enough to create what I call the crack. And that crack led, and all this ties back to your question of where I get this overarching view. What that made me do is it made me study deeply and it put me in an intense internal isolation mode because there was nobody else I could talk to after that moment about any of this. I was already going to college, not supposed to talk to anybody in the outside world. I couldn't tell my siblings that I was having these questions because that would, first of all, they would have no frame of reference to it anyway. And then the thought of doubting this would just be too dangerous. And so what that did is, yes, I studied the belief system, I studied what i was I, I studied to hope that I would come back to it I, I I hoped that I would leave the cave and realize that it pointed back to my church. but what I ultimately really did is like, why do I believe it in the first place
0: mm-hmm.
1: what 's making me believe it it 's really easy for me to look at people on warren jeff 's group and be like the only reason they believe that is because they 're born into it. Wait a minute. <laughs> If I was them, they think they believe in it because it's the truth. Yeah. They believe in it because Warren's the prophet. They look at me and think I believe in it because I've broken up or because I was born into mine. I'm like, what makes us different? Mm-hmm. Why do I believe this? If I was on neutral footing, would I choose either of them? And I, and I started to play these mind games with myself. And I started to really question my own psychology of what made somebody believe something. And I realized that, whoa like if i'm there's there was some stat I found somewhere along the journey that's like whatever your religion um whatever your religion was at like eighteen to twenty five there was like a seventy five percent chance that it was the religion you were born into, yeah, and I was like, oh my God God, like there's like you have all these things that maybe they're meant to protect you, but they're cognitive biases that really make you believe something. And so I kept going internally and checking, like, is this actually something I came to or is it probably because I have this cognitive bias? And that's where I think all the (laughs) it's a long answer, but I think an important one of where it came from, of where I really started to zoom out or zoom in. And see what made me think a certain way. And and what it really did is slowly over time, piece by piece, started to peel away my own belief system, why I believed it, take away stuff that didn't make sense, and then slowly from five years ago onward, truly accept belief systems that feel good to me.
0: That is incredible. And I cannot believe that we've already been talking for almost an hour and a half. This time has flown by and we haven't even scratched the surface of how you were able to escape. I mean, I feel like we're in a situation that I was with Jude. I should have known better. This is going to be a two episode thing for sure. Like we need to get into this deeper. I still want to talk about your arranged marriage. I want to talk about what was it that made you finally decide to actually get up and leave the bubble as you mentioned and i know that you have a voice note that you recorded when you decided in that moment that you weren't going to be a part of the church anymore and i want everyone to hear it (sighs) they're gonna have to wait for the next episode for that uh so definitely guys make sure to tune in but to wrap this one up do you have anything else that you want to add based on what we've discussed so far before we do our linda listen
1: I think that from anybody that's on the outside looking in, I think it's really easy to focus on just the external part, and I think the internal part is just as important, and I think that's something to worth, that's worth exploring, and you can explore it with people within a cult, and then you, you can also explore it within yourself of, like, mm-hmm. why do I believe the certain ways that I believe? Like, uh, I jokingly say, like, I'm politically homeless, uh, like, it doesn't really – I don't really have a thing there, but I I want to talk to you know somebody that's super right wing that has a left wing belief that like they feel safe enough to like own that, and I want to talk to somebody that's super left wing and they have something super conservative that they hold on to. Like those are the people that I like, not that just total tribal. Like pick your side. There's I have nothing against any belief system. I but I'm super curious of how did you get to that?
0: Mm-hmm. Like how did you
1: did you, did you did you go did you go out, you go out the, on your journey in a cave? Did you just Would you just like? Did you read something once and like, oh, that makes sense, or did you actually like trial and error and 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 like (laughs) earn that belief in a way? Like, and so I I just that's just one thought I would say is like maybe a call for you know self introspection. Maybe use other people's story a little bit to be like, why do I think this way? Why do I believe that? Like, is that really mine or is that the environment I'm in? Because one way you can really check to see if it's yours is. If you think a little bit too much alike on any major issue of those around you, that might be a clue.
0: Interesting. You said something on one of your other interviews. Uh, Was it Anthony Padilla? You said – a mind of conclusion has no room for expansion, and I was like, "Yes." yes. And I hope that wasn't your Linda yes. Listen because if I had to pick a Linda that's Listen Linda for this, listen. that's what I would say. Okay, so that's let's a get, great one. <laughs> yeah, let's get your Linda Listen moment—a sassy statement to an organization or anyone who has pissed you off that you want to reclaim your power for, and/or. Something that's a little bit more inspirational to our viewers here.
1: I'll probably go more that one. First of all, I would just say fuck anything that tries to take away somebody's autonomy. Yes. Any institution that tries to make you feel that you are wrong for being an individual sovereign person and that you're selfish for living your life. It's your fucking life. You get to choose your life. Yes. Um, so that's that's my passionate thing. And then the other thing, this is more like this is a choice for the individual, but it's recognizing – that same thing internally like the choice that I had to come to and I'm sure we'll we'll do that on on the part 2 I got to this point where I had to choose was I going to live my life based on what I was hearing out there that could be my church it could also be a great sounding book in personal development it could be another religion that I resonate with like there's other good stuff and to me those are the trickier ones when it's not obviously bad. like, But here's the difference. It wasn't like good or bad, cult or not cult. It was like, do I want to live my life where the most important things that I believe in are externally governed mm-hmm. or an internal discovery? And I don't I don't know the clear way to button that up, but that's the difference. And that's the Linda listen that maybe like for me, what I chose, somebody can choose however they want it. But what I chose was if I'm choosing that, I'm choosing the internal thing. In Mormonism, there's this whole concept of put the idea on the shelf if it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense. Fuck the shelf. (laughs) What do you feel? What do you believe? If it doesn't feel right, you don't have to put it on the shelf. You can drop that thing. And you can say, this is what I believe. And that's what I came to is I would rather live my life, even if I'm wrong, based on my own internal discoveries, than get to the end of my life And compromised some of the internal tugs that I had around certain belief systems. So,
0: Yeah, absolutely. I guess if I were to sum that up, it would be, Linda, listen, where do your beliefs come from?
1: Are they external or internal?
0: Yeah. Take a look at that. That's really yeah. awesome. Great advice. And you are starting a podcast and it's going to do amazing because you're great and you've got so many great things to say. Tell everyone about this podcast that you are in the works of and how they can find it when it drops.
1: Yeah. So the podcast is called Cultured. Emphasis on the word cult. Uh-huh. Um, but I actually like how this is cult to, you know... Cult consciousness, consciousness. It, there's like a there's like an arc there and and that's was the idea when i came up with the name of the show cultured so cult of course the cult like elements there's the cultured like when you're cultured you try things you experience life and that's really what i've aimed to do um with my second life is really taste life try things travel the world go to different cultures you know grew up in a small town now i'm living in one of like the biggest cities in, in in america in new york city um challenge my belief systems I, I, like I I aim to live that way. And the other side to that is there's a word in cultured which is just culture itself. And I'm fascinated by culture and what forms culture and where in culture is culty. Yeah. Because it's not just cults. And again, a lot of cults didn't start out that way. And so I want to bring the conversation to different parts of culture whether it's in politics or other corners or maybe even not so obvious Things that you think are just great, but you're like, actually, they're great right now. But I do see with my cult eye that if they go a little bit more, it could be really culty. And so I want to have those types of conversations on the show. Um, hoping to launch um, this year, um, but you can learn more and uh, go to culturedpod.com. In fact, right now, if you go to culturedpod.com, you can enter your information just to make sure you get notified whenever it goes live. So anybody that goes to culturedpod.com, um, yeah, they'll put their information in. They can be notified. So when it goes live, you can make sure you get notified for the first episode.
0: I love it. Do you want to drop any social handles for people to follow you?
1: Calvin Wayman everywhere. Uh, Calvin Wayman on TikTok and Instagram. That's probably the two places I hang out with most anyway. Calvin Wayman on YouTube, uh, my YouTube channel, Calvin Wayman there. Um, yeah, just starting that as well. So
0: Amazing. You are an incredible guest. Thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we could go back and forth for days. Oscar is looking up at me. He agrees. So for everyone else watching, if you want to share the video, it helps a lot. The views are helping me save up some money to buy some new gear and to create an even better show for you guys. And also my patrons, you are helping me get there. Thank you so much to my newest patrons, Eleanor and Sancta. I really appreciate your support. And if you liked this episode, you will definitely like the one we did with Jude. I will link it right here so you can click there. And until next time, follow your highest excitement, be conscious, and be well.
1: What a great tagline!
0: Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Colts2Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts2Consciousness at gmail.com.